0: Many scientists, policymakers, activists, and artists focus on the dire effects climate change will bring about in the future. Water shortages, coastal flooding, climate refugees, mass species extinction, just to name a few. It has become ever more clear, though, that we are seeing the effects of climate change right now. And while these changes, long and short term, will affect everyone on the globe, they will not affect everyone equally. Today on the Citizen Science Podcast, our co-host Caroline Nickerson talks with two people who are exploring the front lines of climate change resilience work with the IC Change Project. IC Change was founded by Julia Kumari Drapkin as a way to help communities most vulnerable to the effects of climate change document weather in their own backyard and bring greater visibility to these effects through multimedia storytelling. Joining Caroline today will be Samantha Harrington, IC Change's digital community manager, and Amber Kleinman, a volunteer who uses IC Change to document weather events in Paonia, a small town in western Colorado. This work helps communities develop better resilience strategies as they face heavier storms, greater flooding, and more drastic heat. They'll talk about the specific community partnerships they've worked on throughout the country, the unexpected relationships that volunteers discover as they document local weather patterns, and how you can get involved in developing better resilience strategies where you live, both for the present and for the future.
1: Samantha and Amber, thank you so much for being on today's podcast. I think we'll start with introductions. Samantha, could you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about the work you do with IC Change?
2: I started working at IC Change as a reporter, reporting on stories and questions and observations that the IC Change community had. As I worked more and more with IC Change, I started doing some of the community management work, which means I sort of do a little bit of everything. I make sure that anything that the community is posting is something that we note and sort of keep track of to see if it's a trend. Um, I do social media, reach out to partners that are either doing resilience work or are in need of sort of the community level understanding of weather and climate. Yeah. So I do a little bit of everything and I really like it.
1: (laughs) Awesome. So, For people who haven't heard of IC Change before, how would you describe it?
2: It's an online or on phone app that you can sort of track your weather and climate in your own backyard. People use it for a lot of different things. So if you're looking for a kind of journal to log what is normal in weather and climate in your own backyard, if you're tracking flooding, if you're tracking like specific climate trends, drought, extreme heat, and more and more people are using it sort of as a way to identify places in need of resilience work, um, which I think as we talk about climate change and adaptation is something that more and more it's necessary to have like people on the ground and community members involved in that kind of work. We do all of those things.
1: So how would you define resilience? The dictionary definition would mean just like strength or ability to withstand change, but how would you define resilience in terms of the work you do with IC Change?
2: So resilience work, when it, when we talk about climate change, is sort of this understanding of like what climate models say, what climate projections say, what we can expect future weather to look like, whether that be more intense rainstorms that cause more extreme flooding, lower snowpack in places like ambers, maybe that lead to prolonged drought, where we understand those things as what the future looks like. And then we say, okay, how do we plan for that? If we're going to see more flooding what sort of stormwater projects can we do? If we're going to see more drought, like what kind of projects can we do to help farms? In the face of climate change, resilience means being flexible and being able to make changes that allow you to live a life that like you are happy with. It's not necessarily going to be the exact same as it was when the climate was different. Resilience projects aim at providing people ways to deal with, flooding, to deal with drought, to deal with extreme heat, to deal with health concerns of climate change, and to, you know, stay alive, to go to work, to go to school, to be relatively okay, despite things changing pretty rapidly.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Amber, do you want to introduce yourself, say a little bit about your background, and a little bit about the work you do as a volunteer for IC Change?
3: Sure. I'm Amber Kleinman, and I've been an IC Change contributor, uh, reporter for, well, since 2012, since the very, very, very beginning. It started really in my little town of Paonia, Colorado. This has always been something that I've done. I've journaled about local weather and made notes for myself. And so having other people interested in collecting information was just a fabulous project to get involved with because uh, I love looking into that personally.
1: Awesome. Um, how did you find out about it? In, all the way back in 2012,
3: Julia Kamara-Drapkin came to our town. She came to the radio station, which is KVNF in Peonia on our main street. Started to kind of set up the site called thealmanac.org, which was the original one, and she put out a, a PSA on the radio station to come on down into a meeting to talk about how we could crowdsource local information about weather patterns. And so I just heard the PSA and showed up at the meeting with my journals. And Julia was there and we met and we just had this passion about the same things and we just started working together.
1: Great. Wow. And it was originally called The Almanac. Samantha, could you give more background on that?
2: Yeah, sure. So Amber probably has more of the background than me since she's been around (laughs) longer. but. I came on in the spring of 2016. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, IC Change has done a series of of local pilots um, really trying to figure out how important it is to involve more larger scale communities rather than just individuals in gathering weather and climate data to like look at specific problems or trends and to find solutions. The Colorado pilot in 2012 was really focused and like had a good relationship with public radio. And so a lot of the stories that people were posting on IC Change were sort of radio stories. There also was a local pilot in Harlem about urban heat indoors there was also a local pilot in New Orleans about flooding. And that's something that we're still working on. And we also are doing some urban heat monitoring work as well. IC Change is a global international platform that anyone can post from. We have a man who posts monthly from Kenya. And so that is a data set that is really interesting because he posts from the same spot every month. And you can sort of see the like effects of drought or flooding just based on that spot, right? His grass is really dry or it's really flooded. And we can sort of look at that and learn a little bit about what he's dealing with. But when we look at the communities where we have like a bigger user base, like Ambers or like New Orleans, um, you have an even bigger data set to say like, these are the problems that this community is dealing with. These are the like trouble spots, the places in need of, of help. And whether that be like a location or like a weather trend, like drought, and sort of use those to get a better understanding of like where work and resilience and adaptation work needs to be done.
1: Amber, um, maybe you can give some more insight, too, about how I see change has changed from the Almanac days to now.
3: Sure, sure. So in the beginning, um, the perfect fit in this area is that there's a lot of agriculture here and a lot of farmers who keep notes on weather and it's for you know strategizing your own planting schedule and harvesting and all of that so it's something that you would naturally do as someone involved in agriculture so there was a ton of people that had a lot of notes that they could input into the system and one of the interesting things about the beginning in the almanac was that we got a hold of well I didn't but Julia got a hold of these journals that were from 1933 to 1954, I believe. It was a man named William Beasley, who was an orchardist and uh, a farmer. We were able to borrow these journals and I spent a month in the winter just inputting his daily logs into the Almanac. And for me, that was just a goldmine because this is information from, you know, the 30s, 40s, and 50s of the place where I live. And I was able to look at the weather weather patterns that he talked about in that era and kind of compare it to today and say, well, is this, you know, when we say, is this normal? We don't really know until we look at weather over time. And so that was very valuable to me. It just totally had me hooked to have those journals and to be able to look at this area's weather. And so the way it's really changed is in the beginning, it was just ours, you know, in the North Fork Valley. Like we had our own communication and we had reported in and took a lot of pictures. And it, it kind of focused just on our valley, and which is a great way to start. But it's definitely more valuable for the world as a global tool. But it was a good test run with a lot of people inputting information from the beginning, uh, starting around here because of the agriculture.
1: That's super interesting. So it sounds like you did a lot of work for them. Would you say that you have the average volunteer experience with IC Change, or do you think that you go above and beyond? I
3: don't know if I'm the average. I think I'm I'm a serial contributor. <laughs> I, I have a I have a reminder on my phone that goes off every Sunday to remind me to look back and see if there's a picture that I could post or if there's an obvious weather occurrence I immediately take pictures and then later we'll put it into I see change but because it's a phone app now it used to be you had to go on sit at your computer and put the photo on and it took longer now I just go to my app, I click the picture I do a little you know blurb about what I think I see. And it's done in like five minutes. I try to contribute, you know, a couple times a month, especially if there's something interesting. That's the first thing I do is I take a picture and I, I think about putting it on icy change.
1: So anybody can just download this app and just take pictures of their surroundings and start regularly contributing to observe changes.
3: Yeah, yeah. And you just, you get a login and it's super easy. You kind of find your niche. Like, I think it becomes a natural thing that you do when you're always looking at the weather and when like it's especially hot in February, boom, I I take a picture and send it. Or if there's no snow, you know, I take pictures and I try to think of ways that it's valuable for the future. I think it's really hard to know what this is actually going to be worth. I think in retrospect, it's, Much more valuable than we know of because we don't understand what we're posting really. We don't understand the value of it until we look back years later and go, oh, see, that pattern happened. And then this happened. And even if you don't know exactly why you're posting it or if you think it's important, you just post it. And it's simple and easy. And it's not like you don't have to think about why and make it some big dramatic thing. You just keep regularly posting and let the future decide was it valuable or not?
1: Yeah. That's awesome. So Samantha, could you give some background on the research outcomes of IC Change, what you all do with work like AMBERS?
2: Sure. That sort of brings up another interesting point about how we've changed since the beginning. And I think how the national and even global conversation about climate change has changed in that time, because, you know, in the beginning, it's sort of, can we show people that climate change is happening and impacting them based on like what they see in their own backyard. I'm based in Madison, Wisconsin, so like if I like look out and I say like this winter has been really weird, does that help convince me that climate change is happening and also impacting me? And as the years have gone on and that's something that becomes questioned less, the question that people in our community have had and I think people around the world have had is okay, like if this is the new normal, like how do I deal with that? If I can't get to work four days of the week because my street is flooded, what does that mean? If I'm a farmer and I'm dealing with drought, what does that mean long term? When we talk about resilience, something that we talk about more and more, and it's something that really started as we were doing this New Orleans work because it coincided with work that the city is doing to implement more green infrastructure in parts of the community to hopefully collect stormwater and keep people's homes and streets from flooding so much. And as the city was doing that, the data points that we had from around New Orleans and like data points sounds really scientific, but really it's just photos somebody has of their street corner flooding or like their rain totals combined with the amount of time it rained. Those sorts of information were really helpful to like engineers and designers because they knew which spots needed to be targeted. They had a better understanding sort of of how the water moved we're working with quite a few coastal communities right now to sort of figure out how they can use IC change to document the increased coastal flooding that they're seeing, how we can combine that with things like tidal data, tidal gauges. And so I think when we talk about what are the research outputs, it's so many different things because like Amber said, like we don't really know what normal is anymore. And that's why that historical Beasley data was so important. And it's also why the data of Amber or other people who post regularly, but maybe not in sort of like a a resilience effort minded way is so important because it helps us understand what is now versus what was then. And also like when we look back in the future, we have sort of this understanding of what this time period was like and weather and climate in our communities. And so the outputs are really different. It can be whatever sort of an individual makes it, whether it's having a sort of journal of what climate change looks like in their backyard, whether it's a classroom of school kids, the output for them is how do I become a better observer? How do I start paying attention to the weather? It's really fun when school kids start posting because you can almost watch their language change throughout the weeks that they post and they start to talk about weather in, in a way that like really shows that they're like, paying attention and they have a sense of what to expect a winter to look like and what they don't. Like That's something that we value a lot is that maybe just because somebody doesn't know what weather was like in the 60s, 70s. These kids like still have a really valuable understanding of what is different. And they like talk to their parents about like what winter was like when they were growing up. And then like we have the more like scientific research outputs like we had in Harlem, or like we had in New Orleans, where we collaborate with researchers who are putting out studies, who are doing research into urban heat, and who are putting together reports for the city to like see where we need to put flooding projects. So, yeah, the research outputs are really different. And I think that's one of the nice things about IC Change, not just as somebody who works in community management who's trying to like help coordinate these things, but also like I'm just a user too. And so I think there's a thing that's really valuable in that everybody who Contributes, we try to find a way for them to get something out of it. As a reporter, that's also something that I really value because you can see the direct impact. If I'm reporting a story, it's centered around someone's question, then throughout reporting that story, I am like trying to find them answers. And when that story gets published, then I'm providing value to the community. Whether value be like being part of a larger scientific study that maybe changes how we talk about urban heat or how we plan for flooding in the future, or whether that just means giving value to somebody to contextualize their backyard, or helping them learn how to talk about weather. It feels nice to work in climate change and also be able to provide value for people. Climate change can be really, really scary for people, like rightly so. But when we give people agency almost or power to understand what's happening and give people the language to talk about it and also advocate for the resilience work that they need to see, it helps me stay from getting overwhelmed. And I hope it also helps the community feel more empowered on this thing that can be really scary.
1: Okay. And this is all great information. Thank you so much. So let's say that My parents in Orlando, Florida, who live on a lake, commit to uh, taking pictures of the lake every week to document changes in it. What would I see change mean for them? What it would mean for them to begin doing this work?
2: When I think about looking at how lakes change over time um, and how they might change with climate change is like ice over. So obviously you're never experiencing that in Orlando, but another climate trend that is something that's been seen more and more and was something that we actually saw quite a few posts about on icy Change last year was increased algae blooms. As water gets warmer and as more intense rainstorms cause more nutrient runoff into the lakes, it's a more favorable environment for algae blooms to happen those can have a number of health concerns for humans or for wildlife that lives in or depends on the lake. So one project that I might suggest to your parents, like documenting a lake in Orlando would be to, you know, take pictures monthly, weekly, um, probably weekly or more frequently during the summer, just to see if any algae blooms happen, how they change, if it's something that seems worse than when they first moved there that can be paired with observations that people were seeing around the, I think it was around North America. Last year, we had people posting from Ontario about algae blooms, people posting from California about algae blooms. And so all of that information sort of combines into us noticing a trend that this is something that people are dealing with more and more. And I would say that the like first thing that probably we do with that is we would sort of investigate that in the form of a story that we would publish on IC Change. And we partner with Yale Climate Connections to do that. So it'd be published there as well. And if it's something that local communities are interested in looking at more like in depth, more like scientifically, and saying like is this whole lake going to be covered in algae in 50 years like what do we do with that what does that mean for our health that's something that like we could turn into more of a local project to sort of investigate what algae looks like in Orlando and algae is just an example because it is what came to mind but i think anything that you see changing in your backyard has value that researchers or people working in climate change science or resilience don't know we like to say that you are the expert on your own block. There's only so much detail that like a flood map or a climate projection provides. And so anything that you parents can share about sort of how weather and climate impacts their own life, it helps us understand what needs to be looked at more in depth, what needs to be studied, what we need to draw attention to.
3: Like she said, you know, you're the expert of where you live. And that's absolutely true. Like, I know what's weird for where I live. I don't know what's weird for where other people live, but I can identify right away, especially since we've been looking at it for years now of like, ooh, this is important. This is a good nugget that I should put in there because it's different. And whether it's a really hot day in February or like a really odd Downpour that causes a flood. There's things that you know that are not right. So I take pictures of things that stand out to me, but I also take pictures that I'm going to take every year. So, recently, well, in the last four years, I have taken a picture on Groundhog Day of my Airstream trailer because it's in the backyard. And the first year I took this picture, we had so much snow that it looked like it was just a floating silver hot dog on top of the snow, you know, so that was really interesting. And then year after year on February 2nd, I go back and I take the same picture. So now I can look year after year and see, you know, that year we had a lot of snow and it had lasted all winter long. And then there's another year where there's absolutely no snow. That was last year. That I think year after year, the same spot, the same day is valuable so it can be that simple that you just take a picture of the same thing and year after year to see what looks different. I can look back on my posts and, you know, adjust the scope. I can look at things in my area. I can look at things nationwide. I can look at things worldwide. And the more information that you see, the more you know data points that you can include in thinking about whether the posting isn't, really an end in itself. It's more of just getting down so that other people can look at it as well.
1: So you take a picture and you also provide some commentary. So would you on this February 2nd, would you say, oh, snow's a little high this year, or...
3: Yeah, I would just, um, I just take a picture. And I typically I like to do just simple facts and not get super wordy about it. Temperature low and high and precipitation for that day or that week, things that are tangible, that are useful. I try not to like project and judge when I make a post because like I said, nobody can tell where this is going, really. So I just make observations that I believe are factual. I take the picture, post it, I put in a couple lines about why I think this is interesting, and post it. It's that simple.
1: And then, um, Samantha, on your end, so you mentioned that sometimes you all will write articles about, like, commonalities you see across different areas grappling with the same ecological problems or climate problems. From the example of Amber's community, what type of work have you all done with the user base there? Are a lot of people who live in Amber's community on IC change? Is it just Amber? What have you all done with that data? I'm super interested.
2: Definitely. The really great thing about the general area where Amber lives is that there's like a lot of good data from long-term data from 2012 on and even from historical records beyond that. When we talk about like climate regions, we tend to like group smaller communities with similar communities. So like in addition to the records and the data we have and the posts that we have from Amber's community on IC Change, there also is quite a few people who post every year from Durango, Colorado, from other places that are dealing with similar things, questions about snowpack. And so... For example, last year, some of the IC Change community, who are researchers in their own right, um, were posting about a pretty significant lack of snow last winter. And so as the season went on and as we got into June, there was a pretty big, like an unusually big wildfire outside of Durango. And so we did a story on wildfire and used all of the data that people had collected in IC Change posts from the winter to sort of talk about how winter precipitation plays into how dramatic a fire season might be. That's another thing that is useful. People on IC Change sometimes notice signals that there's going to be another problem down the line, right? So people in Colorado last winter were saying, we're not getting enough snow, What does that mean for fire season? The same thing was happening actually in Southern California in the summer. People were saying all of the leaves on my trees have like turned really like crispy and brown and crunchy or more trees are falling over than normal in windstorms. Those trees were showing signs of drought, which a few months later, there was major wildfires in the hills just northwest of there. So is another example of people being experts in their own community is like sometimes they notice signals of a bigger problem coming. More and more every year we try and pay attention to like what people are posting from Colorado in the winter. Like it seems like people are posting quite a bit more snow this year. So hopefully that means good things come June. That's another sort of way that people's posts can be useful is is like paying attention to how the weather now impacts what natural disasters might pose problems in the future. I think the, that's the most recent example, I think. No, actually, that's not the most recent example of a story we did with some of Amber's posts. Amber noticed something really interesting last summer. It was something along the lines of your bees were active, but there wasn't as much in the hives.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the drought over the winter had been observed. There was just no snow, and winter never really came. And the bees were active all winter long. Like, I took pictures of them in January flying. Like, that doesn't happen here in Colorado. It shouldn't happen. Like, they go dormant uh, usually mid December, and I don't see them until later in February. So that was weird. And then come to the end of the fall of that year I go in to assess how they're doing to overwinter and so they need to have in our climate they need to have 90 pounds of honey on the hive to survive the winter so when I go through the hives I make sure that they are full and after having a super dry winter and then having a hot dry summer there was very little nectar for them to collect. So the hives were all very light going into winter. So that was something I hadn't thought of. The actual flowers were drier and there was less nectar for them to collect and bring home to make honey with. So that was another repercussion of the previous winter affecting the bees the following fall and their survivability for the next winter.
2: Yeah, I saw that post on IC Change. And I was like, that's really weird. I like I wonder if there's a story here. I filtered the IC Change feed to see what other people were talking about pollinators. And there are actually quite a few people in the like New England as well, who are saying there is a ton of wildflowers, but there aren't many bees, or there are flowers and there. are are bees, but the bees like seem unusually active. I started reaching out to like scientists and researchers who were saying that actually, like yes, flowers produce less nectar in drought because nectar is some proportion water. I can't remember exactly what it is. Pollinators were having to be more active to get the same amount of nectar. And for the most part, they weren't. And there's been actually a lot of research on that in Colorado um, with hummingbirds because Hummingbirds are an easier pollinator to track. It's hard to get a sense of like how many native bees are pollinating something because it's hard to track like little bees flying around. That's an example of sort of something that like we hadn't realized, maybe a more like increasing problem as places face more drought um, and it brought up like a lot of questions about what does this mean for pollinators? If it's bad for pollinators, what does that mean for ecosystems? It's always really cool to see like what the community finds that like we weren't thinking about as like a major trend. And that was a really fun one last year for sure.
1: So, how many users are there on IC Change? Because it seems like you both work together pretty frequently to the extent where Samantha um, will check in on Amber's bees. Does the IC Change platform monitor all these posts? They find the commonalities. They try to produce articles about the commonalities and get in touch with researchers. I'm just wondering how many people are there on IC Change and how many such projects, like the Bee Project, come about.
2: So that's actually my job. I monitor the feed every day. If I start to see a trend, I will like note it. I'll try and like put together collections of posts. And I look for possible story ideas while I'm doing that. Every day I will like try and comment on almost everybody's posts, either try and add some context to it. Like if I have read a study recently about trees that relates to this person's post about trees, then I'll link it or I'll ask them a question to learn more. I just looked up and we have about 4,200 users right now. It depends on like what is happening in the weather, but probably a normal day on IC change is like 10 to 20 posts. So it's manageable. If there's a flood event, like in New Orleans, we have a lot more that can take more time. But like right now the community is at a size where um, I can monitor everything. But it also is something that like we are looking into as the community continues to grow is this something that we can use some sort of like machine learning to tell us like oh a lot of people are talking about like weird things happening with bees right now and sort of point us to those posts but right now right now it's just i'm the machine that's learning
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love it does every post on ic change get a response from you samantha
2: I would say 95% probably do. If somebody is just sort of posting, it was hot today, we had rain, I don't necessarily comment on that unless they're like a new user and I want to sort of encourage them to expand beyond that. I'll comment something like, that's really interesting. Is this the weather you would expect for this time of year? But otherwise, yeah, I, will, I pretty much will comment on everyone's post.
1: That's awesome. So back to Amber, what's kept you coming back all this time?
3: Well, I just find it fascinating to be able to have the resource to look back and compare year after year in my area. I think that's originally what had me hooked is that I would use it for my own purposes to compare years. So like last year was disturbingly hot, but then I went back to 2012 when I was like, oh, that was another hot year. I'll go look back and see what posts happened in 2012. and sure enough, it was similar. And so I can think, well, you know, that was four years apart. I wonder what is, you know, 2022 going to look like? Is that going to be another dry year? Like how often is this going to happen? For my personal uses, that's Incredibly important to be able to know that in February, if we get a warm up in that third week and the trees start to flower, what that means for the summer. Do I need to start storing water up or what things can I do to prepare for dryness? But I love to be able to adjust the scope of my own world, which is important to me, but then bring the scope wider and check out nationwide or worldwide and see everyone else's worlds and how they're reacting, like all of that adds to the information that I'm using to kind of think about my world, my climate, microcosm and macrocosm. It's fascinating to me in the present, and it's really even more fascinating to look back and look at in retrospect and kind of add up the patterns that you see.
1: Awesome. That's really awesome. And then back to Samantha, what do you think is next for IC Change? How do you see the platform growing? What projects do you think you all will take on?
2: So one thing that we are spending quite a bit of time right now on is is sort of what I talked about of like as we get bigger, how do we give people the same kind of attention? How do we give every post a look? How do we like take that information in? And tag it as important as part of a trend or as sort of like an unknown without like having one person monitor the feed constantly. If that's not doable, how do we do that? So that's something we're spending a lot of time thinking about. And the other things that we like specifically are doing is we are trying to spend more time specifically on flooding and also specifically on heat. Because those are two things that can pose pretty regular challenges for people. um, And we want to be able to help our community understand either heat or flooding or both in their community and what they can do to cope. And so we have expanded to a couple more flooding communities to do some of the same work that we have done in New Orleans with them. In particular, we're spending a lot of time working with Ocean City, New Jersey, but there's also community in New Hampshire, some communities in. Virginia and in Florida. And then we are trying to take a look at how we can incorporate more sensors. So right now, anybody with a rain gauge can register their rain gauge and sort of add that data to the posts that they post on IC change. But we're also trying to sync IC change posts with heat sensors. And I think I mentioned earlier with tidal gauges. So I think the foundation of IC Change is something that like we really value a lot and we hope provides value to the community. It's something that like we've heard that the community appreciates sort of being able to collect their own record and also to collect their record in sync with their neighbors and with their larger local community and even with the world. As we experience some of the same weather and climate challenges together, there's like a lot that we can learn from other people experiencing the same things. So we're sort of just trying to build off of that to see how we can provide more value to users, whether that be through syncing sensors, whether that be through helping local leaders build community through IC Change that maybe they can create some kind of change around a problem that they're experiencing. So yeah, we're trying to to grow and to like constantly increase the value that we provide to people using IC Change all the time.
1: Awesome. That's absolutely awesome. So this is, we're almost near the end. A question for you both. So if someone listens to this podcast, they get excited about the work that you're both doing. How would you recommend that they get started?
2: You can go to the website, so icchange.org, or if you have a smartphone um, we have an app both in the Apple Store and in Google Play. You just search IC Change Tracker, and then yeah, beyond that, I think a great way to get started is to pick a spot or like a general area that you see every day, and maybe photograph it every week, and start to to regularly post. Another cool thing that you could do is create an account sign in see what other people are talking about in your community and sort of use that to inspire like what you look for in posts
3: there are different areas of study on the site so if you are one of those people that needs to focus on one area you don't know what's important to post about like you can do first and last which is just like first frost Last frost, first day of snow, first day of 60 degree weather, simple things like that that are tangible that you can jump in and post about that thing in particular instead of just a general post. Just start
2: taking photos and start observing what weather and climate looks like to you. If anybody... And we talked about just sign up, do whatever. But you also like, can always email me. My email is like on the website anywhere. You can reach out and say, like I'm nervous about using this. And I will answer like any concerns or questions you have. Or if you're like, my community like really needs some sort of way for us all to talk about this and to demonstrate our problems to our leaders, email me too. And we'll, we'll make a plan.
1: On IC Change, does it have the functionality for users to comment on each other's posts? Or is that usually what an IC Change team member would do?
2: anybody can comment on anyone else's posts if there are groups that sort of sign up together whether that's a local community effort or or they're a group of like school kids um, you'll see them commenting on each other's posts a lot and then we have some users who will comment on other people's posts uh, as well but it's definitely something that we have been for a long time trying to figure out how to create more conversation in the comments if like if that's something people want for now it's mostly it's mostly me or it's mostly like people working on specific projects together that do the commenting.
1: And Amber, um, since you've been doing this for so long, do you sometimes correspond with other people in your community who are doing the same thing?
3: In the beginning, um, because it was just us, it was more of a local conversation. But I do know everyone who posts from my town. Like if somebody comments on your post, I get an email that says, "Ooh, there's a buzz about what you posted. So it reminds you to go back and check because I tend to just post and then go on with my day. I don't really always sit down and see what everyone else is up to. So if somebody does make a comment, uh, it's good to know that it's there and I can go and look at it, keep the conversation. Yeah,
1: it really starts a community dialogue. That's really cool. Well, thank you so much to you both for being on today and for explaining the work you do. We really appreciate it.
0: To get involved with IC Change, visit icchange.org. There you'll find the latest stories created by members of the IC Change community, instructions on how to sign up and contribute your own observations, and links to download their mobile app for iOS and Android smartphones. Citizen Science is produced by Justin Schell and Caroline Nickerson, in association with SciStarter. To learn more about our show, get a transcript of this episode, and listen to previous episodes, please visit scistarter.org podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback on what we've done so far and ideas for what we could do in the future. Send us a note at info at If you like the show, please rate or review us on your podcast platform of choice or simply send it to a friend. We'll be back in a couple weeks with a new episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you then.